Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Today we're going to be in Philippians chapter 1 and Acts 16. Let's ask the Lord's blessing on this meal, so to speak, shall we? Heavenly Father, we do pray that your Spirit would teach us how thankful we are that you loved us enough to convey in written form via letters, history, poetry, exactly what you wanted to say to humanity about yourself. And thank you, Lord, that as we read and study and consider, your Holy Spirit uses that as a divine appointment to speak to us. And we invite that in Jesus' name. Amen. In the uh, 1970s, around 1972, an author by the name of Mario Puzo put a book that he wrote into a film. It was called The Godfather. And The Godfather is a story about a family. And the, the main character is a man by the name of Vito Corleone, or as they called him in the movie, Don Corleone. He's the head, the Don of the family. And uh, Don Corleone uh, was the head of this mafia family in New York City that fought with other families. And it's interesting that this guy, though a killer, was all about the family. In fact, at one point in the film, he says to another character, he asks him, do you spend time with your family? Or as he would say it, do you spend time with your family? <laughs> and then he said... Because any man that doesn't spend time with his family can never really be a man. Well, Don Corleone had a family business. It was a crime business. But I discovered something. I came across a book by a professor named William O'Hara. And the name of his book is Centuries of Success. And he says that the oldest businesses in the world are family businesses. The oldest corporations. He writes this. Before the multinational corporation, there was the family business. Before the Industrial Revolution, there was the family business. Before the Enlightenment of Greece and the Empire of Rome, there was the family business. And he, trans, um, he uh, uh, reveals that several companies... Uh, that are 225 years and older. That's what he highlights in the book. And he, he shows that the oldest company in the world, the oldest family business, is uh, the Congo Gumi Corporation in Japan. It's 1,400 years old. And 1,400 years ago, they started building temples, and they passed on this business in the family. So from 576 till now, it's been in the family. It's the oldest business on earth. Now, in our country, the United States, the oldest business, the oldest one is a family business back in Virginia. It's a, the Shirley Tobacco Plantation. It's uh, owned and run by the Hill family. And since 1600s, it has been owned and operated as a family business. So the Corleones have the crime business. That's their family business. The um, Shotuko family in Japan, they have their family business. They 
build temples. And that Hill family back in Virginia run the tobacco plantation. But imagine being part of a company that could promise and deliver to revolutionize individuals, marriages, families, and whole cities. And imagine being part of a corporation whose product is so powerful that it works in every conceivable culture. And imagine being part of a company whose company manual has been translated into every conceivable language and is still the best-selling book in the world. Well, that's the company you're a part of. That's the business you and I are a part of. It's the most exciting thing. Now, you know we're part of a spiritual family. But do you know that God and His Son have a business? It's the salvation business. It's the rescue business. He, Jesus said, I've come to seek and save that which is lost. That's His business, His purpose. I have a friend who is a director, a crusade director for the Billy Graham organization. He was on an airplane and happened to sit next to Tom Cruise. And, uh, you know, celebrities don't really want to engage in long conversations with people. Uh, it might be a hello, and then they want to be off to themselves for understandable reasons. They get the limelight all the time. Well, Tom Cruise asked my friend, well, what do you do for a living? So my friend thinks really quickly and creatively goes, I'm in the security business. Well, every celebrity is interested in having the best security around them. So Tom Cruise leaned in and goes, really, tell me about that. So for the next while, as long as he could speak, my friend told him all about the security that is found in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It was just a fascinating conversation. The family business. Well, that's what Jesus was speaking about. When as a young child, he said to his mother, don't you know that I must be about my father's business? Well, let's look at what ours is. And uh, in Philippians chapter 1, I want you to look at a word in verse 5. We'll get to the rest of the words, but look at a word in verse 5. And it's the word fellowship. Paul is thankful, he says here, for your fellowship. Now that's because the Greek word is koinonia, and typically it's translated fellowship. That doesn't capture the idea. The New International Version captures the idea of what Paul is saying. They translate it this way. I'm thankful for your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. That's how Paul sees it. We are partners together with God. Okay. Our business has a product. And that is mentioned also in verse 5. The gospel. For your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. You know what the gospel is, right? It's the message of the good news that Jesus left heaven, came to earth, lived the perfect life, died for our sins, rose again from the dead so that people could be saved. That's the gospel. That's the product. And it was that message that changed Paul's life on the Damascus Road. It was that product that changed the life of a woman named Lydia in Philippi. And later on, a Philippian jailer. So that Paul is saying, you, Lydia, you, Philippian jailer, and all of you in the church at Philippi, we're partners. We're partners and we're partners with God. 
So what we want to do today here and in Acts 16 is, is pretty simple. We want to take a look backward. We want to take a look inward. And we want to take a look forward. Because that's what Paul does. He looks backward when the partnership began at Philippi. He looks inward to the individual hearts and lives of the Philippian believers where this partnership uh, deepens and blossoms. And then he looks forward into this partnership spreading from where it's at. So let's look backwards in um, Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Actually, let's just start at the beginning. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are the senior partners. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making request for... Now notice this, he's from the south. Request from you all with joy. For your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Okay, Paul is obviously reminiscing, right? He's looking back. Well... He's in a Roman jail when he writes this. So he's got a lot of time to think and to look back. And he does. He looks back and he says to the first day. The partnership in the gospel from the first day. What is he talking about? The first day of what? The first day the gospel through Paul came to Philippi. And that's what he's reminiscing about. Now, here's what's interesting to me. When Paul reminisces and thinks back to the gospel first coming to Philippi, he says, you know, the emotions that I have when I think about that is I'm so thankful and I am so filled with joy. That's the language he uses. Now, if you know anything about what happened in Philippi, that's strange to you as well. Because truth be told, Philippi was a pain all the way around. First of all, Paul didn't want to go there, right? He wanted to go south to Asia Minor. The Holy Spirit shut that door. He tried to go north toward the Black Sea. He was forbidden to do that. He gets a vision one night. A man says, come over to Macedonia and help us. Wakes up the next day. Hey, guys, guess where we're going? Macedonia. Now they go. They go to Philippi. And he's thinking back to those first days. He goes, oh, I have such joy and thankfulness. Okay, hold that thought. Let's see what happened. Turn with me to Acts chapter 16. Now, as you're turning there, let me insert this footnote. There's a 10-year gap between the event in Acts 16 and the letter written to that church in Philippi. It's been 10 years, and he's reminiscing. Verse 11, Acts 16. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, or as the ancients called it, Samothracia. And the next day came to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city in that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and we spoke, now watch this, to the women who met there. Okay, stop. Paul gets to Philippi. He didn't even find a synagogue. 
Usually he goes right to the synagogue. There's not one in that city. How do I know that? Because there's Jewish regulatory law that says if you don't have 10 Jewish male heads of households, you have to have at least 10, you can't start a synagogue. So if you've got nine of them and a whole bunch of other people, but not 10 Jewish male heads of households, you can't start a synagogue. So the Jews in lieu of a synagogue would meet by a river because a river provided water, what they call living water. It runs so that they could wash their hands and go through the ceremonial ablutions and pray to God out in the open. So, Paul didn't want to go to Philippi. He goes there, because the vision says go. He sees a man in a vision. He probably gets to Philippi hoping to find the man he sees in the vision. There aren't any. There's a few women who meet at a river. So he's going, okay, I'll flow with it. But look what happens. Something good. Verse 14. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira. So she's a businesswoman who worshiped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, then come to my house and stay. And so she persuaded us. So first convert. Wonderful. A businesswoman named Lydia. However, things go downhill quickly after that. There's another girl who follows the team. It's in the next few verses. I won't read them. I'll just tell you the story. She's demon-possessed. And Paul is really annoyed with her. So that finally Paul turns and casts, the, after rebuking her, casts the demon out, which is good news for her. This demon-possessed girl gets free of the demon. However, the slave owners who are using her now have lost their trade, their fortune-telling trade. And they're very angry. Causes a riot. Verse 22. Then the multitude rose up together against them. The magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. This is Paul and Silas getting beat up. And when they laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. Now, he's in the Philippian jail. Verse 25, he prays and sings at midnight. Eventually, the Philippian jailer gets saved, but he goes to a town he doesn't want to go to. One woman is there who gets saved. Another woman hassles him. She, he casts the demon out. That puts him in a place where they beat him up publicly and throw him in jail. So don't you find it a little odd that he says, you know, when I think back to the gospel first coming to Philippi, I am so joyful and so thankful. You're thinking, you are? I mean, it would make more sense if you were to say, every time I think about Philippi, I get sick to my stomach. But he doesn't. Now, here's why I'm showing you this. Go back to Philippians chapter 1. Let's see what he is thankful for as he reminisces. And you quickly discover as you read it that he's thankful for what the gospel produced. Verse 5. The partnership in the gospel. In other words, here's what I'm thankful for. The family gets extended. When I think back, I think of Lydia. 
that day. And I think back of that young girl who had a demon that is now free. And I think back to the Philippian jailer and his family who got saved and baptized. Now, here's my point. Paul's joy was directly proportional to the growth of the family business. Paul's joy is directly proportional to the growth of the family business. He didn't look back and remember all the bad stuff. He remembers all the good stuff. The gospel spread. It's the same thought in verse 12 of Philippians 1. Start in verse 12. Now, Paul is writing from another prison, this time in Rome. You know, I've often thought when, whenever Paul went to a town, he probably asked the first question is, uh, show me where the jail is. I just want to know where I'm going to spend the night. Because he always ended up in these places. Verse 12. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which have happened to me, the arrest, the imprisonment in Rome, have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Now, what would happen to our lives if we decided to view everything in our past through the lens of the Father's business. See, I could stop right here in my ministry and I could look backwards and I could reminisce and I could talk about sacrifices that were made and hardships that were endured and tears that were shed. But you know what? If I just decide, let's take me out of the picture and think about the Father's business, I think about people getting saved and people growing in Christ and churches being started around the country. And how can you not have anything but joy and thankfulness because the family business is extended? So joy, Paul's joy is directly proportional to the growth of the family business. Okay. We're Christians in this room, most of us. When you came to Christ, when you received Christ, you became part of the family. You have a relationship with God. But, or should I say and, you don't just have a relationship with God, you are in a partnership with God. Now here's the problem. I have discovered there's a whole lot of people that want to join the family but not be involved in the family business. But according to Paul... You're in the family the day you get saved, and from that first day, a partnership begins. Now, why is it that some people want to be in the family and not be in part of the family business? Well, I think in part, in our minds, we can set up a false dichotomy. We can set up sort of a a philosophical dualism. You know, we categorize life. We have our sacred life, and we have our secular life. We have our worship of God at church and other Christians, and we have our secular life. We make a false dichotomy, a false division. So we might think, well, Sunday's God's day. But now Monday through Friday, that belongs to the company. And Saturday, that's all mine. Here's the truth. The family of God and the family business takes precedence and invades every other area of life. Everything. Everything from your marriage to your kids to your business. Everything. 
I must be, Jesus said, about my father's business. And that partnership begins, according again to verse 5, on the first day. So that's a look backward. That's a look backward. The partnership begins. Look at verse 6 now, Philippians chapter 1. Instead of looking back, Paul now looks and focuses inward into the hearts and lives of the believers in Philippi. And look what he says. Being confident of this very thing. And and by the way, how many times have you noticed that Paul, when he writes, is sure about something? You, you, You don't hear Paul saying, you know, I sort of think and feel like... No, he'll say, I know this, or I'm confident in that. And let's see what he's confident in. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ. Oftentimes, occupations, professions demand what's called continuing education. You're involved in a profession. You went to school. You graduated. However, your occupation, your profession might change. And so you, to keep up with the changes, you go to continuing ed. And some employers require that you do. And one thing about this family business we're in is God's all about continuing education. He's not just concerned with what we do with the gospel. He's concerned with what the gospel does in you. He wants to work through you, but first he works in you. That's why being in this business is so satisfying, because God takes care of his workers. And it's not that you're just God's worker. You're God's work. You know what, what Paul said in, in uh, Ephesians 2? For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. And some of you know that workmanship is a Greek word, poema. It means poem, work of art. You're God's masterpiece. God's at work in you. Now, a couple things in verse 6. Look at it a little more closely. I discovered, as I looked at it, a couple of different things. Number one, according to Paul in verse six, God gets the credit or let's uh, let's use our analogy. The senior partner gets all the credit. While the junior partners, the rest of us, we get all the benefit. this, This is what I mean. God gets the credit. He says, he who has begun a good work in you, who began the work? God. Okay, notice that Paul doesn't say, you know, when Silas and Timothy and I came to Philippi and we established a church, though he did. Nor does he say, I want to just, I'm so thankful to you, church at Philippi, because you strategized and you plotted demographically the city of Philippi. And none of that. He realizes this is God's work. He gets all the credit. Now, folks, that's just how Paul lived. That's how he saw life. For instance, after the first missionary journey, he goes back to Antioch and it says, Paul gathered them together and reported all the things that God did through them. Not all the things we did for God, but what God did through them. Okay, then he goes to Philippi and he shows up. But he recognizes God does the work. Because you read it, right? says, the Lord opened up Lydia's heart. Who did? The Lord did. It wasn't Paul that talked her into it. The Lord opened up her heart. And then Paul gets arrested and put in jail. And if you read the rest of the story, it says an earthquake shook that prison. 
Paul didn't do that. Paul couldn't produce earthquakes. He can't say, here goes, Silas, watch this. Earthquake, earthquake. See that? Pretty good, huh? No, God did it. So he recognizes the senior partner, God, gets all the credit. It's the work he does. And here's the best part. Whatever God starts, he finishes. For he says, he who has begun a good work will complete it. I wonder if you have any unfinished projects at home. You know, those things he said, don't worry, honey, I'll get to it. Of course, that was 10 years ago. You're thinking, yeah, but the 11th year is pretty magical. I'll get to it. Well, God doesn't have unfinished projects. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. I'll tell you why that's important. Because some of you right now, right here, are discouraged in your own development as a believer. Okay, you know the Bible says you're God's workmanship, you're God's work of art, but you look at yourself, you don't see that. You see a blob of paint on a canvas. It's because you're not seeing through the eyes of the one doing the work. God has an end in mind. God, God keeps going. He's committed to that. Listen, there's a great book, and if you've never read it, get it. And if you've read it, read it again. It's called Pilgrim's Progress. Spurgeon read it twice a year. Pilgrim's Progress is a story about its chief character named Christian and uh, several other characters. One is named Interpreter in the book. In one of the chapters, Interpreter takes Christian into a room and shows him a fire burning up against a wall. There's an opening. And he sees a fire, but in standing in front of the fire is a man with a pitcher of water, pouring water on the fire as if to put it out. The only thing is, the water goes on the fire and the flame gets bigger. It doesn't go out, it gets bigger. The man with the pitcher of water, says the interpreter, is the devil, trying to put out God's work. So they're looking at this, and it's sort of an enigma. Why does this fire continue to burn until the interpreter invites Christian to walk on the other side of the wall and see the secret of the burning fire? And there on the other side of the wall is another man pouring oil on the fire from behind it. So while the devil's trying to put it out, there's another guy pouring oil on it. And the interpreter says to the Christian, this is Christ. And with the oil of His grace, He continually maintains the work already begun in the hearts of His people. Now, I want you to walk away today with that mental picture. That's your life. Whoever is trying to put out the work of God in your life, Christ is on the other side of that wall pouring in the oil. He started it, and He's going to finish it. And listen, God never loses interest in you. You know, you'll never catch God saying, I quit. You're you're impossible case. I can't work on you. I've tried to work on you. Her, him, them I can work with. You, no. Give it up. He'll never do that. And God isn't done with you until you get to see Him in glory. That's what He says here. He'll complete it until the day of Christ. So that means today, until you get every day, till you get to glory, you could put a sign around yourself that says under construction. Or how about this? Be patient with me. I'm under construction. You ever see those bumper stickers on cars? 
uh, and they say um, uh, Christians aren't perfect. They're just forgiven. It's interesting. I notice them on cars that like to like speed a lot and break the law. So I go, that's a convenient bumper sticker when you do that. But it is true. We are perfect. And it is true. We are forgiven. And the great truth that Paul is saying is I look inward at this partnership. I see that God is committed to an ongoing work. So he gets the credit. But but look again at verse six. The junior partners get the benefit because he says he who began a good work in you. Did you know that the gospel is first and foremost an inside job? It begins with the heart. It begins with the mind. The term repentance means to change one's mind. Now, don't you find it, by way of contrast, interesting that most of our concerns are not inward? Most of our concerns are outward. I could guarantee you that if you were to walk out on the streets and ask people, what one thing do you want to change most about your life? You're going to have them say, my body type, or my hair, or my wrinkles, or my baldness, or, or everything that I just mentioned. But you'll have very few, if any, say, well, I've got this character flaw that I really want changed. We have an outward concern. God is all about an inward concern. A few years ago, I walked into a store and it caught my eye. It was an antique walnut piano. Beautiful. Redone. It looked so beautiful and I thought, I've got to hear how it sounds. I walked over to it and I opened up the keyboard and there were no keys. So I opened up the lid. There was no soundboard, no harp, no strings, no hammers. There was no inside. It was a good work on the outside. There was no good work in it. So it was only valuable to look at, not as a real piano. Or something else. A friend gave to me a vintage motorcycle, a 1942 Harley-Davidson. It's a friend, isn't it? It's a looker, this thing. But so far, that's all it is. It's chromed, it's painted, it's got a new seat on it. But when he gave it to me, nothing happened inside the engine. It was all show and no go. The only way to get anything out is push it down the street. It, it looked good. There was no good work in it. And my friends, the work God wants to do more than any other work in our lives is in inner work. As Tim Downs put it. Watches, cars, and Christians can all look chromed and shiny, but watches don't tick and cars don't go, and Christians don't make a difference without insides. So this is an inward work. It's a process. You might ask, well, well, what is exactly that he does inside? I could sum it up with just a few bullet points. Number one, God makes you guilty. Now you say, that that doesn't sound like a good work. You know, my therapist said guilt is bad. Guilt is good. I'll tell you why. Guilt makes you see your lost condition and drives you to Christ. That's a good work. Not only does he make us guilty, he makes us hungry. Because we realize I want so much more than what I've already experienced in this life. Third, he makes you happy because once you're guilty and hungry, you get driven to Christ, you ask forgiveness, and when you know you're forgiven 
right before God, you get really happy. And fourth, He makes you holy. That's an ongoing process where God is committed to chiseling all of the rough edges in your life off. So hang on, there's quite a process. That's a good work. Okay, third and finally, there's a look forward. He's looked back, reminiscent, when the gospel first came to Philippi. He then looked inward as that uh, partnership uh, deepens and blossoms. It's an inward work God's committed to. Now he looks forward. Verse 7. This is where the partnership broadens. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains, in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me of grace. You go, what on earth did that just say? That's a long, hard sentence. Briefly, and Paul will develop it in the book. We don't have time to get through it. Paul says, look, I went out. You supported me. You became partners so that wherever I'm at, whether I'm chained in a prison or I'm out defending or confirming the gospel, not only are you with me in heart, you've actually come alongside me to support it. But there's a couple of things, and I want to close with this, that prove whether or not you're a part of the family business. And it's these two words in verse 7. Look at them. In the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. Or I would put it this way. Whenever the gospel is defended by you, and wherever the gospel is extended by you, it's proof that you're in the family business. This is what I mean. Have you ever been in a situation where somebody said the name Jesus Christ not in a favorable light? And they kept using God and other slang uh, words like common words. And you got offended. And you said, now wait a minute. You're talking bad about somebody I happen to love with all my heart. You wouldn't want me to talk that way about your mom, would you? Or your wife or your husband. Please don't do that about Jesus. Or you've been in a situation where you've talked about the Lord and, and defended the historical Christian gospel. You've given a good defense for the faith and a apologetic. If you weren't related to God or part of his family and the family business, you wouldn't care. It's just like, whatever, that's the world. They do it. But the fact that you care and that you defend is proof that you're part of the family and the family business. And second, and finally, whenever the gospel is extended, you see the word confirmation. It's a very strong term. It's a legal term. Babiosis. Sounds like a disease, doesn't it? I've got a bad case of biases. But, but it actually means to tell or to testify. It's a legal term. So, every time the gospel is preached, and every time people receive and respond to it, you look at it and you go, look, there it is again. It works. It confirms the gospel. Look at the power of that message. These lives are being changed. There is a confirmation. So, to sum it all up, practical proof that you're in the family business is you believe in the product. You defend the gospel, you extend the gospel. You believe in the product, it changed your life, and you believe it's going to change others' lives. That's the family business. But you know what? First off, you've got to be in the family, right? So I'm not in that family business. Well, are you in the family? That's the bigger question. There's a guy who... He uh, was married and he had some children and he hung up a plaque in his dining room. It was um, a familiar passage, Joshua 24. It says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There's only one problem with it. 
One of his sons named Henry wasn't a believer. Didn't follow Jesus like mom and dad. So he looked at that plaque every time he had a meal. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And he thought, you know, that's not really honest. So he decided to hang another plaque underneath it. Two words, except Henry. So you can imagine what that would sound like. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, except Henry. But eventually, Henry Henry gave his life to the Lord and became part of the family that served the Lord, as that plaque said. What, What if we were to hang a plaque that said, we as the household of God, as for us and our house, we will serve the Lord? Would we have to have a list of names Except all of these people. They come here, but they've never really joined the family of God. They just come and attend and they watch. So we're going to serve the Lord except for these folks. God wants you in the family business. But God, first of all, wants you in His family. He wants a relationship with you. Where you love Him and He loves you and you experience it and you walk with Him. Are you there yet? Let's pray for that. Our Heavenly Father, we do pray that we who know you and love you and walk with you would be so filled with joy and thanksgiving in proportion to the growth of the family business. That we would learn to view life by not seeing ourselves as the center of it all the time and what its inconvenience is to us but what this would mean to the family business. Lord, I pray for those who aren't in the family yet. We pray that there would be a commitment made to Christ. We pray that there would be a decision for Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org. If you have made a decision to follow Christ or would like someone to pray for you, please leave a message with our prayer watch line at 505-344-3658. Thank you and God bless.